I am reading from Daniel 2, verses 12 through 30. Daniel 2, verses 12 through 30. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his, and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is, this, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heavens concerning the, this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we were asked of. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show, you, show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery, that the, the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, th this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. May our God use the reading of his word to bring conviction and change to our hearts. You may be seated. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. 
God, we are grateful that you have given us another day to come and worship you. You've allowed the sun to rise. You've allowed our our cells to function, our legs to function, and you have given us time and space and freedom to come and worship you, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray that this word will be the word carried along by the Holy Spirit. Lord, may it change and sanctify us through your, your spirit and by the work of your Son. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. To this point, Nebuchadnezzar has had a vision. He's had a dream. It was a very terrifying dream. It stuck with him. It was long. It was uh, very um, vivid. It was very clear to him, uh, very easy to, to see and recall. But it was terrifying enough, he put his, his wise men to the test, the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the magicians, the enchanters, all these groups of people, and they failed the test. They were unable to tell him his dream and give him the interpretation. And it's at this point where he now sends out an execution order for all of the wise men in Babylon. So all of these different groups, everyone that belongs to them, not just those who are in the room at the time when Nebuchadnezzar is asking for, for the interpretation in the dream. So it's at this point we have even the, the group called the Chaldeans, which is the academic side of the wise men um, and the kind of the academies or, or collegiate system of Babylon, where we actually have Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah studying right now, when an execution order has come out to uh, execute everyone in those academies as well. So their lives are on the line. And it's at this point that we come into verse 12 uh, for our message today. Before we get into the message, I wanted to uh, make sure I lay out a couple of clear things. I'm going to ask you to bucket yourself into one of two categories. And depending on what category you're in, your application is going to be very different. It's going to be different for you. And I'll give you the application up front uh, if you're in category one. So 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you cannot confidently say that you experience the, inex, uh, the inexpressible joy and glory of the risen Jesus Christ, if you cannot say confidently that you believe in him, then you have not secured the outcome of faith, which is salvation of your souls. And so today, your application has two parts. One, I, uh, I encourage you to listen to today's message, hear the words of Daniel, see the behavior of Daniel, hear his hymn that he ends up singing, and with that, think to yourself, do I resonate with that? Does that feel like the behavior that I, I am doing, or does this feel um, true to my heart for what I believe God to be? Is that the model I'm trying to drive for, or does it fall dead? If it doesn't challenge you, if it feels empty, then we have more to think about and discuss. And I would say then your second point of application is to spend time alone today. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 verse 6 and just spend time in prayer and read that scripture multiple times. That's your application. The rest of this sermon will be predominantly focused on those who claim to believe in the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you do not believe There is value to be had here, 
but this, the rest of this needs to be for the faithful, and we need you to have a faith that secures you salvation. Now, for the other group, the group here who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, who have repented and have had faith, is that where it stops? Does your faith secure you salvation? Box checked. And that's the end of my faith. Like, that's, that's faith for me. Or does your faith extend into actions and words? Does your behavior show faith? Do you have faith in God in the things you say, the things you do, the way you treat other people? I think Daniel is going to present to us a wonderful model that I could not hope but to aspire to and hope that one day the Holy Spirit um, will get me closer to the level of faith and deep conviction that Daniel has. So today I challenge us to consider if we have a faith that goes beyond salvation. Do we have a faith that actually works its way out in our daily lives? Let's look now at our passage today, Daniel 2. We're going to start in verses, uh, uh, verses 12 through 16. And you'll see on the back of your, of your bulletin, we have two sections, two ways we're breaking this down. We're going to first look at the narrative. So we're going to look, look through the first uh, 20 uh, or 19 verses, 12 through 19. We're going to jump the hymn, and then we're going to continue with the narrative. And then we're going to circle back to the hymn um, and, and break that down as well. And as we look at faith today, and we look, consider what faith in action looks like, let's look at verses 12 through 16. It says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show him the interpretation to the king. So in verse 14, we're introduced to Arioch. And Arioch's title actually in Aramaic literally translates to a chief executioner who belongs to the king. So him being the the, you know, chief for the guard. Yeah, that's an accurate statement. His title is to be a chief executioner. He is not the guy you want showing up at your doorstep. He's not the one you want being the arresting officer. And here, Arioch is coming in and is securing all of these men who are to be executed. There's a couple things to note here. Um, one, I want to point out the word we have here is urgent um, in Daniel's approach. Daniel approaches him and asks, why is this so urgent? And I would say, actually, the word in, um, the word in Aramaic uh, is, is actually, uh, let me see, is mahekspa, which, instead means, uh, which ex- instead means, why is it so severe or harsh? Why is it so severe or harsh? So the, the word we translate, is translated urgent is actually, be, it's the reason they translated that is because the same word used in a different tense later in Daniel in future chapters uses it as urgent um, correctly. But I think actually almost all commentators would agree that the best way to translate this is why is it so severe? Why is the, the order of execution? And we see in this approach from Daniel, his approach to Arioch is actually even different already than the approach of, say, the Chaldeans and the other wise men to the order of execution. Think of this. We, we, first of all, we're told that Daniel's approach is with 
wisdom and prudence, wise judgment, but yet uh, we also see this in the behavior of the wise men before in the previous verses. The very first thing they do when they're accused or when they're told you can, you're going to be executed if you cannot do this is to protest Nebuchadnezzar, to say that his request is foolish. This is foolishness. You should not, you can't ask this of us. No one on earth can fulfill this. And so they challenge Nebuchadnezzar and his judgment. And Daniel has all the right in the world to essentially do the same thing. He wasn't even in the room when this whole scene went down. Daniel wasn't a part of any of the interpretation. And yet here he is about to get executed for something he didn't do. And yet God, having blessed him with wisdom and prudence, he approaches it differently. He asks a question and he asks Ariok, who's probably heard every example and every argument for why not to execute someone. Here we have Daniel saying, why? Why is Nebuchadnezzar giving such a harsh and severe command? And if we keep looking down, we'll see that harsh really is a better word or severe is a better word uh, than urgent. Because you even see then in verses 16, it says, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. If things are, there is perhaps an urgency naturally by there being an execution order, but there's enough time to formally lodge a request to petition the king and go in front of him. And so we see instead that, that maybe severe is the, is the right word here. But in this approach Daniel is taking, he is taking one wisdom, he's asking a question, he's gathered the information, but then two, he's just enacted in verse 16 an incredible act of faith. I'm going to read verse 16 again. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Do you catch the act of faith? Do you catch what's going on there? Daniel doesn't have the dream or the interpretation yet. And here he is asking to go in front of a tyrant who has enslaved him and a person who is going to have a mass execution, who has mass execution order out. And you, before doing anything, you've just learned that there's this absurd, seemingly absurd request to know the dreams of someone and to give them the interpretation of the dream. And you're going to say faith, you're going to say confidently, get me in front of that king. I have an answer for him. It's an incredible, incredible act of faith. I want us to turn our Bibles uh, quickly here to Isaiah 41. We're going to read a few verses here out of Isaiah 41. I believe this is the faith, the level of confidence that Daniel has in presenting this opportunity or presenting um, him, trying to present himself with the opportunity to speak in front of the king. I think that the, the level of faith and confidence that we're trying to take away from it can be seen here in verses 8 through 13 of, of Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. 
For I, Yahweh, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. This wording, I can't help but recall uh, what, I don't know, at this point might have been a year ago, um, that, that our brother Nick preached on Moses' interaction with the burning bush. And the confidence that God is trying to instill in Moses saying, I am going to be with you. Take this snake, it shall be a rod. Say these words, do this act, put your hand in your vest, in your garment, and you see leprosy, and then it's gone. And what was Moses' reaction to it? What if they don't believe? What if they don't believe? And he continues, ah, but what if they still don't believe this? And what if they, a whole lot of fear, and God ends up presenting, giving him Aaron and all of these things. And yet we see a reiteration from Isaiah to Jacob through through Jacob and through Israel and coming in Israel, this confidence that God is, is faithfully walking with them. And I would say in contrast perhaps to, to Moses and, and his concerns of what if they don't believe me, we have Daniel doing the opposite. God, God hasn't taken him aside and said, here's what you're going to do. Here's the dream. Here's what you're going to tell him and here's what's going to happen, as Moses had. Instead, he hears of the situation and he knows confidently that he can present the king his dream and his, the interpretation. Do you have faith that God will do what he says he'll do? When the money's tight, bills are looming, do you, have, do you walk in faith or do you walk in fear? When you realize your marriage is not the idyllic vision you had entering it, do you walk in faith or do you walk in fear? When your children choose to deny God and refuse to repent and have faith, do you walk in faith or in fear? God is in control of all these things. God is in control of dreams. God is in control of the salvation of our children. God is in control of all of it. Do you walk in faith or in fear? Does your salvation go beyond, or does your faith go beyond your salvation? Let's look now at the next set of verses here and look at faith in prayer in Daniel 2, 17 through 19. So now that Daniel has secured an appointment, he's written a, a check he, that he has not, that he, and he doesn't even know his account balance, and here he is writing this check. He's now got to figure out, does he have the money in the account? Can he go deliver what, he, what he's saying he's going to deliver? And he takes it in faith and prayer. Let's, let's read 17 through 19. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and to- told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So we're going to see there are a few things here that we see this faith in prayer being worked out. First, we see that Daniel prays. The act of prayer itself is faith, is an act of faith, that God will hear his prayer, that God will fulfill his prayer. I'm going to rattle off a few verses for us today. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not pray, know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
1 John 5, 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, these are a bunch of New Testament passages on prayer, and yet Daniel knows because he has been given wisdom and uh, prudence. We've seen that in chapter 1 of Daniel, that God blessed Daniel specially, and, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as well. And he's blessed him in this, these, even this approach to Arioch. Daniel knows that prayer is effective, and he's going immediately to prayer, and that is an act of faith of its, in and of itself. And then secondly, we see that Daniel tells his companions to seek mercy, to seek mercy. So these four are scheduled to be executed for a crime they didn't commit by a wicked man who's enslaved them. He doesn't tell them to seek justice. He tells them to seek mercy. Daniel knows that God is in control of all things and that even Daniel not dying from execution is a mercy from God. It is not the right thing that he should not die. It is a mercy from God. We all deserve death. We've all fallen short. We all fail God's moral standard, and we all deserve execution. And so he tells them to seek mercy. We don't deserve success at work. We don't deserve success in our marriage. We don't deserve success in any part of our lives. And yet, God chooses to give some of those successes, and it is a mercy. It is a grace. It is undeserved. That is what mercy is. We don't deserve to live another day. Our children don't deserve to live another day. If our child lives to be day one years old, that is a mercy from God. And Daniel knows this. And so he, with faith, says, go to your knees and pray. The four of us need to pray that God might show us his will. Do you have a faith that is willing to go to your companions to pray? Do you have faith that maybe hoarding your, your prayers and your trials and tribulations is not the best route to go? To take it to others? To take sin to your brothers and sisters and say, pray with me, I am struggling with this? Take it to your church, to your leaders. This is sin, I need, I need help, I need mercy from God to be taken away from this sin? This is the approach Daniel had, and it is the approach we have here. We supplicate together. Today we have a members meeting, but on a normal Sunday after the service, we sit and pray together in the same way that these four are. Do you have faith? Is your faith being worked out beyond salvation in the form of praying with others that God might hear that prayer and that God might fulfill an answer, whatever that might be, to that prayer? And then when you pray, are you praying for mercy or are you praying for what you think is justice and right and your right to rule? Every blessing from God is a mercy on us because we deserve none. And to pray for those things and to understand that entering your prayer is an act of faith that God, even though he has the right to execute us or to not let us live past this very moment, is an act, it's an understanding that is correct and true and an act of faith. Does your faith go beyond your, uh, your salvation? All right, we're going to keep moving. We're going to look at faith and humility. It's at this point we jump over our hymn and we look into the narrative further. We're going to look at Daniel and Arioch and Nebuchadnezzar's interaction here. And you're going to see 
a faith in man, and you're going to see a faith in God contrasted between what Arioch does and what Daniel does. Listen to the verses uh, 24 through 30. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, or Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. I put inflection on the tone of Arioch because I'm hoping you see what happens here. You can hear the boasting from Arioch in his behavior here. You can hear it just like flows out of him. He is the great man who found the one who could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The focus of the statement is on him and who he found, not on Nebuchadnezzar, not on Daniel. It's on him and what, look, I found him. And that's not even true. We've been told twice that Daniel approached an Arioch. Someone comes to him with this, I have this for you, and then you storm into the other room. And, you know, it's this great middle management mentality. Hey, I I figured something out. I solved it. Well, it was one of your frontline people. And as a middle manager, it's a temptation to take credit for the things that others have done. Here, Arioch comes in. And not only that. So we have this scene where Daniel asks Arioch, what is, what's going on here? Why is this such a severe and harsh judgment and punishment? He hears it. He lodges his request. Time goes by. Enough time for him to go off and pray with his colleagues. Enough time for him to have a dream and a vision of his own where God impresses on him and gives him in the vision the, interpreta- the dream and its interpretation. All of this has gone by. And then he goes to Arioch again and says, hey, Arioch, don't kill everyone. I've got, I've got an interpretation for you. All this has happened. And Arioch has the confidence to storm in in haste now, suddenly in haste, storming into Nebuchadnezzar and saying, whoa, 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 wait, I have someone who will interpret this for you. His faith is in what Nebuchadnezzar can do for him. His faith is in what man and what government and what rulers can do for him. And how do we see Daniel react? Do you see the contrast? Three times we see this faith in humility. We see his faith being acted out in his humility. Because if you have a lack of faith in God, you wouldn't be humble. You need to secure and claw your way up the ladder and for every inch that man is willing to give you. But if you have faith in God, you have a natural humility. You should have a humility because as we talked about the mercy a moment ago, you were owed nothing. So humility is just a true state of understanding of where you belong and where God is. 
Look at, look at um, verse uh, 28 here. In verse 28, we have, um, uh, excuse me, verse 27, it starts off, um, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. So first we have Daniel even saying, I, in this wise men training facility, I cannot even answer this, but, in 20, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made it known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And then again in 29, Daniel has a chance to claim credit. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what you would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Again, he's given credit to God. And in verse 30, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known, made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel has a faith in God, where Arioch has a faith in man. When you look at your life, your social media posts, your Instagram, your travel posts, um, when you look at your resume, maybe you're even the way you talk about your family, the way you talk about your work, whatever it might be, is your faith in man or in God? Is it that you will get a certain amount of love and affection and value and treasures from man because of the beauty of your life or whatever you are boasting to have? Or is your faith in what God is rewarding, will reward you for? Are your treasures in heaven? Is your faith being worked out in action daily? This is a faith that goes beyond salvation. To be saved is the first step. Beyond this, faith should be being worked out in the way you behave. Okay, we're going to move over to our hymn. And um, I have to admit, this is what I am most excited for us to get into. We're going to get into some word nerdiness, um, some original language nerdiness. And um, I think it is beautiful. It is it shows the beauty of the original languages and, and how much value there can be in understanding that. Let's look at the hymn. I'm going to read the hymn in entirety, and then we're going to, read, we're going to focus just on verse 20 for a bit. 20 through 23 says, Daniel answered and said, so having received the vision, his own vision and the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the, um, having received the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation of that dream, says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with, with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So I think there's a couple things that could easily get missed here. One, a language thing, and another, just the, the assumptions made because we know the rest of Daniel. But think about, think about Daniel in this situation. Daniel has just been given a dream in the interpretation. Does that mean he gets to live? Does Daniel know that means he gets to live? He's about to go in front of a tyrant, his slaver, in the middle of a mass execution order and give him an interpretation of a dream. We know the interpretation. The kingdoms fall, the kings fall, and the Messiah is the king. He will rule. Do you think that's what Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear? 
So he's about to take this, and yet what, even though uncertainty of his future looms, Daniel comes in and says, blessed be the name of God. So in this context, we're already seeing faith, but this blessed be the name of God sounds very common, very psalmy, very churchy, but actually in its original tense, so here it's in Aramaic, but in the Hebrew form, it's only used three times in all of scripture, this tense and form of the original language. Once here in this passage, and then in two other places, I'm going to have us turn to Psalm 113. We're going to look at the first place Daniel's linking to. And we've heard through both of our pastors teaching how these, the, through, through the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of Scripture, we consistently have this hyperlinking, this linking to Scripture. You're invoking the information of a passage by, by alluding to it or referencing it. We'll see often in the New Testament a quote to a part of a Scripture or part of a verse. What they're doing is not taking the part of the verse they need for that comment or that moment. There is value in exi- spe- the specificity of what they're saying, but they're trying to there should be um, a background and knowledge that we import into what was just said. And in this case, blessed be the name, which is uh, it literally in, in the language is Yahweh Shem Yahweh Mevorak. It literally translates to, to his name, to his name, be all glory. And um, uh, be all glory blessed. And we're going to see here in Psalm 113 verse 2 is where the link comes in. But let's read all of Psalm 113. Praise Yahweh. Praise, O servants of Yahweh. Praise the name of Yahweh. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Yahweh is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh, our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on heavens and on the earth, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. He gives them the barren woman a home, making her joyous mother of children. Praise Yahweh. He is linking us into the salvific psalm. It is a psalm of God's rule over everything, including time, seasons, and kings. He takes people from, he takes the poor and the needy from the dirt and dust and ash heaps to sit as princes and to sit as princes of over his people. I mean, the beauty of this, Daniel just evoked this psalm. What is going to happen to Daniel? He's writing scripture. He will write scripture. That is as close to a prince over the, God's people as it gets. And even further, we see in, um, I'll read it to you um, here, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, we're going to later see in future sermons that when Daniel interprets the dream, Nebuchadnezzar chooses not to execute Daniel. And then after that, Daniel bestows a reward, or Nebuchadnezzar bestows a reward on Daniel. Uh, In verse 28, or excuse me, Daniel 2 verse 48, it says... Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel will be made from a slave taken in battle to suddenly ruling over Babylon to one of the top two or three most powerful men in the world. The beauty of him invoking this psalm with this wording is incredible. But 
the faith is beyond that. It's beyond that God can save him. We're going to look at the other uh, invocation, and it's not a psalm. It's Job 1. Job 1. Feel free to turn there with me if you, uh, if you like. But we only, this time, we don't have a, a whole passage to read, but just a, uh, uh, just a, oh, excuse me, uh, just a single verse. Job 1, verse 21. So the only other place that this, this phrase, Yahweh, Shem, Yahweh, Mevorach, is used is here in Daniel 1, 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. The two places he just invoked. One is salvation, brought up from dust. Another says, I deserve nothing. I, will, I am, praise God, if I die naked as I came. These are the two extremes of the spectrum. And by singing this psalm, blessed be the name of Yahweh, blessed be the name of God, Daniel is bringing in this whole spectrum. And, and if for those of you who are here for a Sunday school, we went through the, a topic on grammatical things. This is something called a, a, a hendiadis, which is saying two ends, two extremes to mean the totality. Clean your room from top to bottom. God is alpha and omega. God created the heavens and the earth. You say two, two bookends to mean the entire spectrum, the totality of it, right? So in, in the Old Testament, we often hear from Dan to Beersheba. Geographically, that means all of Israel. So uh, in this case, what Daniel's doing is he just invoked this hendiadis by saying, whether God makes me a prince or God allows me to die or chooses for me to die, praise God. Blessed be the name of God. This is a level of faith that we need every day. This is a faith that goes beyond salvation. This is a faith in the outcomes because the outcome is secure. God is an authority over the outcome. And the ultimate outcome in terms of our salvation has been secured. And he's acting out this confidence in the salvation secured by Jesus by praying this, by singing this. Do your inward thoughts, does your heart sing this with him? Do you enter situations that are challenging and trying, saying, blessed be the name of God? Or when you think back to those times that situations kind of make you queasy in your stomach, you, there are things your spouse maybe knows not to really talk about because they're dark emotional times or things you don't want to talk about, maybe previous churches you were part of, maybe other work events, things that caused you issues, bad relationships, family members. God is in control of all the outcomes. God did not choose to execute us and make us as naked as we came, just as Joseph proclaimed. Instead, God chose us through the, his sanctifying work through the Holy Spirit, as we were taught in Sunday school, to bring us through that thing. Is your heart rejoicing that God is in control over the outcomes? That is a faith that beyond, extends beyond salvation. Next, we have our faith in authority. In verse 21, we're going to look here at verse 21 and see that in um, 21a, uh, or excuse me, well, all of 21, but um, we'll repeat the second half of 21 in the next point. But it says in 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Uh, just this week, I put on a music playlist 
I, I'm a talker, I'm a chatty person. In order to get me to focus, a great thing to do is have music running in the background, and I put on, I knew I needed to focus on something, so I wanted classical hymns played in the background, just instrumental hymns, no words, just instrumental. And so I, I searched Spotify, and I found, the very first playlist I found was entitled uh, Instrumental Hymns and Worship. I pushed play. The very first song, instrumental song, was Star Spangled Banner. Instrumental hymns and worship, the first song is Star Spangled Banner that comes up. Uh, after choosing another playlist, uh, I reflected on this for a bit. Evaluate your heart. Is your faith in princes or the prince of peace? Is your confidence in who's in ruling authority? Do you find yourself grumbling about politicians to others? Under there's some truth to, to sin being done for sure, but is, it, is that a cover? Are you able to claim, hey, well, because I can grump, complain about this sin, it gives me an excuse to talk and complain about those in authority. Joe Biden is president. Praise God. God sets up kings. God chooses rulers. It is not for us to choose. We vote. God has given us means of choosing rulers, whether it's by vote or sword, by, by whatever insurrection of history's past or present, God chooses kings. How, how can we hear the preaching from our brother Nick about Pharaoh and say, God chose wrong with Pharaoh. God should not have put Pharaoh. God should have put someone more faithful up there. Was God's will not being done by having a man with a hardened heart set on the throne? By having a Pharaoh, God, to, God got to show us his mighty signs and wonders. God got to put the adversary in his place because of his authority over a wicked ruler. Praise God that Pharaoh was the one chosen in his divine sovereign plan. Because I would not have chosen Pharaoh. God chose Pharaoh for his purposes. And I would say the same goes for all authorities, whether they're your boss, whether it's the authority of your spouse or your church, whatever authority it is, God has chosen them. Praise God for them, whoever they are. Now, I pray that our next ruler in any position of authority is a Josiah, that he is tearing down the high places and bringing worship back to God, bringing back the scroll for faithful worship, doing things that even David didn't do. But praise God if he chooses to give us a Pharaoh. Praise God if he gives us who he has deemed to be the right person in his history, that is in a history that belongs to God, not us. And I pray, I spend my time praying that whoever is there, that there is a Nathan, whether that is us as people or whoever is in the ear of that leader, that there is a Nathan willing to confront David and tell him, you have sinned, repent. There is not forgiveness of the sin they're committing. But if your confidence is only in the prince who is put up there and you are going to grumble and complain and woe is me and woe is the world and what is going to come, your faith is in princes, not in God. Faith beyond salvation doesn't spend time watching news stations just to get grumpy and grumbled up and in a fiery thing because there is a salvation if we get the right party elected. There is not salvation from that party. There's not salvation from any ruler that put, is put in place outside of Yahweh, putting in place Christ as the ruler and authority and salvation. Lastly, we're going to look at faith in faith. 
after saying all of this, my hope is that we leave this sermon, we leave today going, I need more faith. I need to decrease. I need God to increase. I need more faith. You can't even do that. We can't do that for ourselves. You can't get motivated by a sermon. You can't get motivated by a scripture and just go, whoop, I'm dialing up the faith. It has to come from God. God is the one who's providing us faith. It is the Holy Spirit enacting in us faith. Now, God gives us means to seek this faith, to grow in faith. God, praise the Lord, blesses us with means. Worship, the opening today to talk about the Sabbath and being here to grow in sanctification. This is a means God has chosen. But look at these verses to close out the the last few verses of our our hymn in this today. Starting in the second half of verse 21. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made made known to us the king's matter. It is from God that faith comes. So great. We have secured the outcome of our faith. We have salvation. We need to pray and beg and cry and sing for more faith, more of the Holy Spirit, less of us, more faith worked out on this earth. Dwell on the closing words I'm going to have for us today, which will be in Romans 1, verse 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. God, my faith is insufficient. My willpower is nothing. But your Holy Spirit, your Son, is undefeated. In every trial, in every temptation, having faith in the rewards of Yahweh over the faith in man's temporal, worthless sin, Lord, that is the faith we need. And I pray that you bestow it upon me and you bestow it on this congregation. I pray that every one of us today are more indwelt by the Holy Spirit in a way that our faith exudes out of us, in a way in which we can confess the the death and resurrection of Christ, that we can take it to those who have not yet secured the outcome of their their faith, that is the salvation, Lord. But I pray that, that that faith just exudes and allows us to have that conversation. But I pray that it also drives us to exhort one another, to, to have the faith and confidence to pray diligently, and to pray knowing that you will answer prayer and answer the prayer for more faith, Lord. May you be glorified this day. May our faith bring glory and honor to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.